0: Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. That is Catherine Rubino, who is interrupting me again, because that's become our bit, apparently.
1: Well, I don't know if it's a bit, but it really seems to annoy you. And as I believe I've mentioned on numerous occasions, that's a big W for me.
0: Okay, well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is where we do our uh, weekly rundown of big events, big happenings the in the legal, stories legal world. You need to know, and most of the ones that you don't actually need to know, but we find <laughs> entertaining. Uh, as always, we're uh, we have sponsors. Uh, when you'll hear a little bit more later about Lexicon, uh, Nota powered by. MT Bank and LexisNexis interaction, but for now, let's just uh, let's just gab a little bit. How you well, feeling?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, fine. Yeah, I've I've been fully vaccinated at oh, this well, congratulations. point. Congratulations! Uh, thank you. I'm feeling pretty good about it. You yeah. know, some was pretty... it,
0: was the second shot bad for you?
1: It wasn't great. Mm. It was not my favorite thing that I've ever done, but it wasn't awful. I had a day of like achy, fevery, whatever mm. yuckiness. Second day was you know a little. I was very tired, a um, little bit of aches, but by day three, I feel I felt perfectly fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so
0: now you're in that period where, what, like a week or so, and or fourteen days or whatever it is, I don't know, but yeah. until uh, you're mm-hmm. fully,
1: fully considered fully vaccinated, and CDC has some separate kind of rulings about what you can and cannot do, and uh, yeah, ever closer to normalcy is is kind of where I feel like I am, and I'm pretty happy about that just in time for uh this summer i fully intend this summer to be amazing
0: okay yeah, yeah. we know actually that that actually could be a transition to a first topic if we mm. wanted to do a little bit of that you know mm. Mm. yeah because i was having a conversation recently on the clubhouse ah. the legal legal tech trending news clubhouse meeting that we so have. you
1: remember the name of it now
0: I do remember the name of it now, but thanks for that.
1: (laughs) Well, listen, I got to keep you honest.
0: Mm. Yeah, but we were having a conversation given Mm -hmm. that there are going to be in-person conferences starting up over the summer and late summer and early fall. Mm -hmm. And not every conference is doing it, but some are. And a lot of us on that show, uh, the hosts and all, were thinking, you know, this is great, you know, it'll be exciting to get back and see people. Yeah, I mean, I and feel the, pretty good about it. Yeah, the audience did not. It was very interesting. And it kind of showed me a. I, I mean, one of the problems with uh, all of our lockdowns and so on is that we kind of Exist in to the extent technology has allowed us to stay in touch with people, we have Mm -hmm. stayed in touch with people who might believe in our same bubble. Because I very much thought that everybody I was around was going to wholeheartedly be excited to go to a thing, and it just wasn't true.
1: Post-vaccine summer is is a thing.
0: No, Um, they're very very upset about the concept. Very nervous about any idea of going in public this year.
1: I guess I think a couple of things. First of all, I understand nerves because it is a big change and all that kind of stuff but i also think that it's got to happen i see no reason why it shouldn't happen this summer i think i saw a chart that 46 out of 50 states as and the um D- district of columbia district, yeah. are on track to offer vaccines to any adult i think it was 16 or over whatever it is as of may 1st as mm. biden had promised so it's it it all all you know all Oh, ever forward. You know, and, and that seems like most people will have the overwhelming majority of people have access to the vaccine by May 1st. I think that planning a summer seems very reasonable. I mean, listen, I still think and and obviously it's one of the CDC's recommendations still that people who are fully vaccinated continue to mask up. Mm-hmm. I will continue to mask up. Sure. I have no problem masking up. I can also continue to judge people who do not mask up or do not mask up properly. Yeah. I'm a big fan of being like, excuse me, sir, your nose is showing. Mm. Excuse me, sir.
0: You're that person. Um, well, Which I, I mean, not, yeah. that's not a knock.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it's important to make sure people know that they're seen when they're doing the wrong thing. You know, and sometimes they don't realize it slipped or, you, you know, or whatever, and that's fine. But I don't understand the people who seem to deliberately put it on below their nose.
0: Yeah, because it seems like it gets none of the efficacy with all of the same amount of annoyance. Yeah, yeah. like I
1: don't, I don't, I don't understand it. But you know, I I want to be clear, like ah, 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 point to yeah. my nose. You know, I, I think that folks should be aware.
0: But it it was interesting because, you know, these are folks who obviously are very interested in technology and mm-hmm. so therefore very clued in. But they they just had reservations. Uh, largely, I felt it it reflected. Uh, kind of the degradation of institutional trust. Uh, Uh, There was a lot of... You know, we also heard it was going to be over by the fall last year. And I was like, well, right, but we didn't have a vaccine. And they, that mm-hmm. was the thing that they thought would be ready and wasn't. But now we do. Uh, and yeah. I just feel like we can trust that. I, I
1: have no issues trusting this vaccine. Concerns any of the about vaccines about variants. That are out variants. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's always a possibility of a variant we don't currently know about is ineffective vis-a-vis the vaccine. Or, you know, a different illness could always happen, right? Like, there's always a, this always a possibility for pandemics. There has always been a possibility for pandemics, but we still do things. And I I just think that trusting in the vaccine is very, very reasonable. And And I remember even in the fall, you know, in Or, you know, kind of in the mid mid portion of quarantine, people say, I just don't even I can't even imagine what will have to happen till this is over. And and, you know, we had a covid cast podcast about about these sorts of things. And I remember saying when the vaccine comes, that's when it'll be over. When we have the vaccine. Yeah. And, yeah, it's only 95% or high 90s or whatever, which is not perfect, obviously. But I think it's fine. It's very, very, very good against hospitalizations, against deadly uh, impacts from the virus. That's fine. If you get sick, it's the same. if, If you get sick and you have the vaccine, you are very, very likely to survive. That's where we need to be. And, yeah, I intend to go out. I intend to travel again
0: yeah
1: you know i i have big plans for the summer I, yeah. I, I i assume you are also trusting this vaccine based on the way you've sort of framed yeah this I, well, yeah
0: well i mean uh, the the announcement that Ultacon will be uh it's more actually not i shouldn't say it's in person it's a yeah. hybrid conference there will be remote attendees as well as physical attendees and mm-hmm. i and, you know, booked my trip uh, because it's super cheap to do that right now (laughs) Uh, because people are not not fully on board. But I I do think that it's important to trust in the science that it is going to work. And I think it it's necessary psychologically to incentivize Mm -hmm. people to get this vaccine. Right. Like part of part of the incentive is
1: we can go back. You can go back. If we
0: start, you know, doubting the idea that Mm -hmm. it is going to result in the change, it's going to, you know, erode the willingness of people to go ahead and put themselves through days of aches and pains if they think it's it's not necessary to fix it.
1: Honestly, fairly minor in the big picture. And also considering that I went this entire year without any colds or flus or anything because I was home, you know, it was very, very easy decision to make, I think, to get the vaccine. I, I think you're right that we have to very much incentivize folks to do it. And I think the other thing is, I wonder if people who can't imagine sort of a post vaccine don't remember how quickly it changed. Yeah. From you know, everything's fine, this is this is a flu, right? to nope. Yeah. <laughs> Shut it down. It was like a weekend.
0: Yeah. No, it, that that's an <laughs> excellent point. Like the the rapidity with which we we changed everything about yeah. the world. It is a, a sign that things can change. We are very bad as humans about predicting what uh what it's gonna be yeah. in three months, four months, how we're going to feel about it. And yeah, m- I'm hopeful that these folks and their concerns will be allayed by then. And, and we uh, can
1: get ready for the Roaring Twenties version yeah. too. Hopefully not which for followed me, which by which for me,
0: because I'm going to Iltacon is basically my uh my opening Salvo means I'm going to kick off the Roaring Twenties in Vegas. So, Woo-hoo. yeah, it seems weirdly appropriate, I mean, actually. well,
1: Ilta cons in August, right?
0: hmm yeah.
1: Yeah, there's plenty of time even before then, assuming, you know, yeah, I don't have your anything vaccination really, status yeah. is, is uh, all up to date by I then. don't have
0: anything really lined up for any of that, but we'll see. Uh,
1: plenty of time, plenty yeah. of time.
0: <laughs> yeah, plenty of time to get all of my tasks in order and mm-hmm. uh, oh, do that so mm-hmm. if you're if you're interested in streamlining administrative tasks yeah. let's hear what our friends from uh, lexicon have to say All right. Well, we are... Seamless.
1: Seamless transition right there. Good job.
0: I'm a professional. You're a real professional. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking for the last few podcasts, actually, now about spring and fall bonuses, which Mm -hmm. is the new bonus war raging... Yeah throughout the
1: Yeah, quick recap of course, yeah. um, just in case. In the fall of twenty twenty, a series of big law firms and into year end bonus did uh, special bonuses in addition to year end bonuses ranging from seventy five hundred to forty thousand dollars depending on class year and sort of in addition as a thank you for hard work during the COVID season. And now again in the spring, we have folks doing that again. It's a bit higher rate, the, the sort of market rate. I think it's 12000 through six to $64,000. Um, and they're going to be in two tranches, generally speaking, somewhere between April and June or July, depending on the firm. And then again in the fall. And so now we're in the, the part of the year where the biggest and best big law firms are like, yep, we will pony up these market rates. And it kind of made me wonder. The firms that did it were Wilkie started the spring bonus thing, and, but they mirrored the numbers from the fall. And then Davis Polk came over the top and mm-hmm. they kind of upped the ante. And Wilkie has uh, made a secondary announce, uh, announcement saying they will meet those higher rates. So that was great for Wilkie folks. And it made me wonder, who's the compensation leader You wouldn't have thought that Wilkie would have been the the firm to make the first move. And Davis-Polk really came over the top. And they also did something similar in the fall where Cooley had, you know, put out the first level of bonuses and then Davis-Polk came over the top and then the Davis-Polk standard became the sort of market standard. But, you know, I always kind of think of Compensation Leader as Cravath. You know, for years, they were always the first firm to announce year-end bonuses. Uh, and even when it came to sort of the fall special bonuses, they announced that they would not do them in the fall, that they would make these decisions at year-end. And once kind of the Kravath domino gets tipped, so goes a large chunk of Big Law. And so far, maybe this will change but by the time this podcast comes out, but so far Kravath has not made any announcement regarding their spring bonuses. Yeah. So uh, are they still the compensation so- leader?
0: So I'm going to push back cuz okay. I I you just said something there mm-hmm. and I never really had thought about it before but sure. you you used the phrase compensation leader right. talking about these things which I don't I don't think that's what you mean cuz like to, from yeah. my perspective compensation leader is who's paying the most so it would be a well, title I- you would give to like a Kirkland and Ellis, who pays one-and-a-half-time bonuses, or Wachtel.
1: Those those folks are always above market, but I don't consider them compensation leaders in the sense that no one follows them. In order to be a leader, you have to have a follower. Right, so
0: you're defining leader as one that induces following as opposed right. to leader being the, the top. The top.
1: There is a term that we use for folks who do that, which is they're above market. Yeah. Right? No, I get like that. that's a hey, whole category. And a lot of a lot of boutiques often find themselves in that position. I'm saying
0: if I like from a recruiting perspective, if you were to say, yeah. hey, this firm's a compensation leader and mm-hmm. you found out they are just someone who's already at market, you would be annoyed. A compensation leader would be signaling this is no, somebody no, no. who pays but, more. But
1: I think if you were, like, hearing, oh, I'm going to a firm that's a compensation leader, I think it's, yeah, it's where the market winds up, but it's the, it's the firm that's on the cutting edge, mm-hmm. that there's never a doubt that your firm is going to match or lead uh, on questions of compensation. I don't think
0: that's what it's... Um, you know, you, but you see what wait, I'm wait, saying? Wait, I, I do. I, I just think that's a wrong, like term what about mark like market leader uh, like because the market follows them it, but but they're not they're not leading in comp like I feel like that if you say use compensation leader you're signaling these people pay more and I don't want to do that but it, but it is true that they're leading the market by setting market you say uh, words I, like above market and stuff.
1: I, I'm happy to use the term market leader okay well good uh, okay, well now yeah. okay. we have
0: uh that's fine we have successfully uh established that our
1: parameters out.
0: okay all right
1: <laughs> what was that noise that, that was
0: the gavel we've decided oh
1: it. oh it has been decided yeah okay i thought it was like a hammer and i was like what are it, we fixing? in a way it was well, okay but <laughs> i thought it was like you were like fixing or or making a hole in a wall i don't i don't know it was a little confusing to me anyway my question still remains mm-hmm. what firms yeah, do we consider? get back to that yeah the actual the actual point you guys um who is the market okay market leader
0: Oh, yeah. No. And so, as you said, it was always Cravath. And it was now, always Cravath.
1: Uh, I, I don't think, I'm not sure it is anymore. Davis Polk is putting in a strong resume. Yeah. Strong, strong resume. And um,
0: Millbank, a few years ago Millbank, were the ones yeah. who have led on pushed salaries. Folk,
1: and push folks. And that's another question. Is there or somebody really a market leader if they're only pushing forward on bonuses because yeah. that's not doesn't change sort of the year-to-year compensation. Uh, are you only a market leader if you're pushing salaries above? I think that there's an argument that that might be true. I definitely think that Cravath has a lot of cachet in the industry, but Cooley is the one who made the decision first yeah. in the fall, and then Davis Polk came over the top, and that's what became the standard. In the spring, we're talking about Wilkie who made the decision first, and then Davis Polk again came over the top. There's a very strong argument that's Davis Polk, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I likened this in a recent write-up of, I believe, Deba Voice's announcement. I, mm-hmm. You should think of all of these bonuses and salaries as they're a lot like a heist film. All right? <laughs> because, okay. So, like, like a heist con artist film. So, like, in The Sting, like, you've got, like, your Robert Redford character, and he wants revenge, but, like, he comes up with an idea— and he, he can't pull it off without an older, wiser helper. So like Wilkie <laughs> came up with this idea, we're going to give people bonuses. And then Davis Polk came in and was like, no, no, no. So here's how we're really going to do it. Uh, and then, <laughs> then the next whole act is Davis Polk basically going around and getting all the old gang back together for one more score of paying <laughs> a bunch of associates. And much like a heist film, I'm sure in the partner meetings at all these firms, they Initially push back and say something like "I'm getting too old for this shit," and then finally come around and say, "All right, fine, I'm, I'm in." Too
1: old for this. That's, that's <laughs> a good one. I enjoy that. You know, I do think it's interesting. I think that there's also a, a big difference, and I'm not sure. Even though I do think there's a strong argument that Davis polk is is kind of the new market leader. I do think that putting it in the term of special bonus. Mm-hmm is, counts against that in in an important way. Because if you recall back in December, we talked about this a little bit, but when people mark bonus money as special, it is not a guarantee for the following year, right? If you Mm -hmm. put it as part of your underlying, even if it's still a part of a bonus, but it's part of like the end year end bonus, there's kind of a baseline assumption that that level will be met the next year. And if not, that's like a big deal. So by putting it as a special bonus, it's very like a moment in time. Here's a payment. Good, good job. But there's not an overall benefit. You know, there's not a going forward benefit to folks. And I think that either putting it in year end bonuses or in compensation numbers generally uh, has a much stronger impact, not just on, you know, folks who are in law school. That's what the numbers you really care about. Like, I don't know if somebody's in law school should really care about who's leading in special bonus numbers because by the time they graduate we're not going to have special bonuses probably yeah
0: yeah right? no i mean that's true too so or, or, or as you're yeah. kind of saying about leadership does it signal mm-hmm. even if it's not that these bonuses themselves will be around in future years does it signal that you're going to a firm that is committed to the idea right. they want to be right leading on this sort of thing
1: yeah and and i also think then there's a, a level of distinction between firms that will always match whatever what the Joneses or the Gravaths or the Davis Pokes do, mm-hmm. versus folks that are willing to kind of stick their neck out. Yeah, and you know whether it's you know Millbank because they kind of push the overall compensation up, and then you know Gravath came over the top when it came to mid levels and senior associates. They made those numbers higher for older associates or more experienced associates. And then Milbank had to come out and match those numbers again. But even, even though that had to happen and maybe, you know, Milbank would have preferred if their numbers were just matched, I still think that there's a benefit that that kind of a firm is saying, we will stick our necks out to push compensation forward, right? That That if there is an opportunity to pay folks more, we will do it. We will not just depend on everyone else to make these decisions. We want to be kind of we want to be part of that conversation. We want to be thinking about how to pay our associates and what's the best way to do that. And I think that that is a very different attitude about compensation, about the role of associates at the firm than a firm who, of course, they'll always pay what everyone else pays, but is going to, you know, do it four weeks after the fact.
0: Right. Or two
1: months after the fact. You know, I think that these that is the sort of small hints that you get as a prospective lateral or law student or whatever that tell you what the firm really thinks and what the firm really cares about
0: yeah their value their value uh the values they have on it yeah no Mm -hmm. that that is an excellent point obviously there's some people concerned up there that whenever there's a bonus there's uh sky is falling folks who say oh no they're not going to be able to keep this up in this economy or whatever but i feel like these firms uh, know what they're doing and they're going to be fine. And just because and some we had an not ex-
1: won't be able to meet it. And, you know, maybe that just creates another level of distinction, which is OK, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're coming out of um, a economic bump, but one that big law more or less got through. But, you know, it's uh, we're coming out of it and people are being rewarded for what they did. During it, And if you have any questions about how have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side, LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again.
1: I must mess that transition up for you. A little bit.
0: I, I mean, but you made a good point. And so I had to kind of change it back. I, I was yeah, ready to yeah. go to, into the ad read and then you threw a curveball, but we, we made it through. <laughs> we made it through. So since we're people who produce things on the internet and we need Indeed. people to read things, I guess we're legally obliged to use the phrase cancel culture occasionally. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. I
1: can't, I can't take it. I yeah. dislike that phrase. It's um,
0: dumb, but nonetheless, well,
1: and, and I was okay with it when it was just like, well, is, is our Kelly canceled? I was like, uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> he is. But I think that the right has done a great job of sort of reappropriating it and making it this whole thing. and, but it, but but I still fundamentally believe in the concept that holding folks accountable for things they do and things they say is very it's good. Yeah. It's very yeah. good and it's very important. And we should continue to do all those things even if you get, you know, branded with you're part of the cancel culture. Yeah. It's like, I don't care. Bad things happen. We got to call them out.
0: Well, so one of the interesting aspects about this is that last week we had a couple of stories that actually broke the mold a little bit mm-hmm. of the standard – Narrative because we had two people in law schools who were confronted with transgressions, and their responses were one to say, Yeah, this was wrong, and so I'm stepping back from my position, and Mm -hmm. another who said, Who didn't step down, but nonetheless offered a full throated apology and it just led to me saying oh well this is you know this is kind of the right way of doing things uh, there were quibbles about like how they went about them mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. The, some of which are very substantive and important but nonetheless it was in a world in which we tend to have these come up and are, are met with people who double down on it and say ah, no i totally stand by that and you're mm-hmm. you're pro- you're against right. me for saying i can't do whatever well, we had people who actually did kind of the right thing and it got me right. thinking because we got I got feedback from some of these stories from readers Mm -hmm. who were very much inculcated in this idea that there's some crusade out there to ruin people's lives. And they were very much on – oh, you all just hype this stuff up and these folks are victims of and I'm like, even they themselves aren't even treated, acting like they're victims of things. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. So wh- do we
1: want to go into a little bit of the details? So we're yeah, not, so yeah. Uh,
0: the CUNY situation yeah. was uh, CUNY's dean, uh, Mary Lou Bywick, is stepping down. We knew she was stepping down at the end of the year. That has been out there. What we didn't know was why and the reason was somewhat convoluted, but uh, she had pushed for a junior white Professor to get tenure, which a lot of the faculty felt sort of was skipping the line. Skip yeah. it was skipping the line over several more qualified people of color who were mm-hmm. awaiting tenure. At this point, there was a meeting confronting her about it. She, you know, did not ultimately go, they did not ultimately give this woman tenure, but. Mm-hmm. The dean said that made an offhand remark that seems to be something along the lines of we shouldn't no one should blame that junior professor for what's going on here. In this in the, in the analogy, I'm the slaveholder who would have to pay reparations if anyone's going to pay reparations. It should mm-hmm. be me is generally basically the quote, obviously, a. An analogy that seems to almost make yeah. light of the situation by comparing it to this, which while still important, is not the same thing. Yeah,
1: no, yeah, uh, no. But and your question is not the same as literature. exactly. But yeah. you know,
0: it, it's it was bad. But the it seems as though the real problem for her, and while mm-hmm. you know stepping down is probably the right move and whatever under this because it has kind of a direct impact on the trust relationship with and to run a faculty. That said. I feel like the big problem that some folks have pointed out that I do have sympathies with was this all happened months ago. She decided she was stepping down but wanted to kind of step down and not get into it, not have a discussion about it and just kind of Didn't keep it. Didn't want,
1: when you Google her name,
0: yeah, slaveholder
1: to always come up.
0: I um, hear like that, it. but also just not even address it head-on right. with folks. Right, it uh, probably no wouldn't have been as much
1: of a story. If and she, that's what I yeah, think.
0: Yeah. I, I honestly think had we gone, you know, had— The school said, here's what happened. Here's what I meant. I now understand why that was bad. Here's Mm -hmm. why I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do that. Here's what was going on with this. A transparency, I think, probably would have avoided almost all of these issues. Uh, But you tell us about what's going on at Michigan.
1: Yeah, Mark D. West is the dean there, another dean um, situation. And he is an expert in Japanese law and has written several books about it. And there was some student outrage over the covers of the book, which uh, very much trade in stereotypes of Asian people and Asian women in particular, and were called out on social media over the covers. And it wasn't new, like these books came out years ago. But also, I think the image of seeing all three covers back to back, I think was very powerful. And folks at the school had been trying to call it out previously. You know, there was uh, a lot of, you know, I think a year or so ago, there was an effort to call attention to the book covers. But I think that kind of right now with the violence um, that has been happening against uh, AAPI folks, you know, there was a, a zeitgeist in, yeah. and, and, and it really kind of took, fo- took took hold. And Dean West came out and wrote a very long apology explaining sort of that the, that they recognize why the stereotypes that they traded in were problematic steps that they're taking obviously it's hard it's you know it's a physical printed copy you can't just kind of pull them back out of existence but the efforts that they're making to make sure that digital copies no longer have those same images that future printings would no longer have have those images on them and some of the students that initially called Dean West out have said that they felt Very glad that there was an apology, felt that they actually were heard and seen and how that was such so important for Dean West to take responsibility and to really engage in the substance of what was going on.
0: You know, in some ways, this comes full circle back to the vaccine conversation we were having, Mm -hmm. because I feel as though. These stories were important because it showed, much like in the vaccines and how it's important as an incentive for people to get vaccines to Mm -hmm. think, yes, this means you're going to get back. I think it's also important to incentivize apologies by saying, yes, if you do these, if you do come forward and talk about it and we have an honest, it it doesn't make it right, but Mm -hmm. it does mean that you know people will feel heard and will respect the fact that you have taken that step and that's important because if you part of the reason i think most and i wrote this in a piece i think most of the time when these folks double down on mm-hmm. stuff it's because they're jerks and that's fine <laughs> like simple occam's razor still applies they they're they're doubling down cuz they're jerks but i think there's also some folks who just could potentially be thinking well there's no way i'm ever going to get able to apologize. So therefore I may as well double down. And it's like, no, you, there is a value to coming forward and saying like, yep, clearly I'm wrong. Here's what I bent. Here's why I know that wasn't right. But I hope you respect why I, where I was. I'm better now. And life moves on.
1: I think just two quick points. I think first of all, I never knew that apologies needed a hype person, but here we are. They need to be hyped. But, but the other part is I also don't, even though, you know, I think that you're right. And, and I think that, you know, being apologies PR person is a thing. I don't want to uh, kind of say that it's a it's an automatic get out of jail free card. I don't want to. I, I think that there's also a difference, and I think people can hear the difference between heartfelt, honest, real apologies and ones that are done mm-hmm. just as a oh can't this be over now under duress kind of yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think no, that,
0: I, uh, that's true too. And I
1: think that kind of analyzing apologies is definitely real and definitely something that will that is done. And I think that. There's there is a real difference between earnest and true and thoughtful apologies and folks who are willing then to do the work to make sure that they don't do similar things in the future. And it's not just like I said, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. done. What's going on? That goes back to the who's a jerk thing. And and we don't want to incentivize jerks necessarily. Yeah, but.
0: I mean, the the lessons of uh, the lessons you learn in law school aren't necessarily just about mm-hmm. uh, black letter law sometimes it's also uh, it's also learning how to kind of function as a professional out there yeah but the thing that it isn't Mm. is learning to be an accountant (laughs) You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Nota, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnotacom slash legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. So that brings us once again to the end of our program. Uh, obviously, thank nota powered by M&T bank lexicon and LexisNexis interaction for sponsoring the show you should be subscribed to the show if you aren't already that way you get these downloaded directly every time a new one drops that way you can also give us reviews uh stars as well as write things shows engagement helps uh, the algorithm realize hey this podcast is actually about law people who are interested in law might want to you know subscribe and put's this out there so that's wonderful too you should be reading above the law as always and we're on top of all of these bonuses, actually a new bonus just came in while we've been sitting here. Mm. So I guess we've got that actually, uh, your old stomping grounds, it looks Uh, like.
1: Cahill or Wilson?
0: Uh, Wilson. Uh. Um, So next, uh, you should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine1. The numeral one, uh, that is uh, where we are on the Twitters. You should listen to our other shows. Catherine also hosts a show called the J- podcast called the Jabot. I am on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable at the end of every week, though I wasn't on last week, but I'll be on in the future. Also, uh, in the Legal Tech Trending News. Clubhouse. If you're a person who hangs out on Clubhouse these days, uh, we do that on Wednesdays at twelve thirty. I will not be on this week's. but do you wear you know, pink usually? Since Wednesdays. I mean, it's Clubhouse. It's not visual.
1: Well, I just I know, but mean yeah. girls. All right, never mind. Go on.
0: So anyway, then Wayne, you should also check out all the other shows that we are not on on the Legal Talk Network. So. I think with all that, we're done, and we will uh, check in with you again next week. Bye.